I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the weather is clear, can do, can do. This is Bill Duncliffe. Welcome back to Can Do, the podcast about all things horse racing. Some history, some handicapping, and some humor. We've got a great show lined up for today. Jamie Michelson, who somehow finds time to handicap regularly while also running a full-service advertising agency, joins us as our guest. Kelly Lawless is going to share her big score story with us, one that preaches the value of patience. And guest handicapper Chris Mello is going to give us some insight into one of this Saturday's races. So let's get started. Our guest today is Jamie Michelson. Jamie is the president and CEO of SMZ, a full-service advertising agency located in Troy, Michigan. Jamie is also a longtime horse racing follower and a handicapping contest player of some renown. Welcome, Jamie, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Bill. The pressure's on. I can do the history. I can do the handicapping. The humor part. Love that. It'll come naturally. It'll come naturally. Jamie, tell us, how did you get into horse racing in the first place? Well, I, I've, it's probably been something as long as I can remember because my father was and is a huge fan of racing. He, he became a fan in college in, um, in Philadelphia, University of Pennsylvania, and had a bunch of buddies who used to run out to what was the old, I guess, original Garden State racetrack in New Jersey. And one of his college friends was very, very involved in the business, racing, breeding through through family. It was a gentleman named Steve Wolfson, who is a handicapping Hall of Famer, and his father, Lou Wolfson, had Harborview Farms and raced a number of champions, including Affirmed. And so the, it was something that they just did. And so my we as kids grew up with that family as family friends and going to races and watching races on television. And I remember Secretariat as a young kid on TV in the Belmont, and that sort of burned into my head. And so I've just kind of loved it, grown up with it, and loved it ever since. Oh, wow. We all remember that. that, And I have the same kind of seminal moment with Secretariat watching that on TV and just being, you know, awestruck by the the power and the, the, the majesty of that of that victory. I'm, I don't know if you're like me, but I've probably watched that replay hundreds of times now on YouTube just to, and I get the same thrill every time. Yes. And it still gives those thrills and chills. And then, you know, cause we've had recent triple crown winners again, so that it brings that back. And, and, uh, I, I think that's all good. So Jamie, who was your first winner at the track? My first, I don't really remember my first winner. First of all, I think at all the signs at a track, when you have to bet, it says you must be 18. <laughs> I was probably 12, reaching up and short over the counter, but I knew how to call out bets. I knew all the lingo. And I remember being at the Meadowlands. I was like 12 or 13, sitting at a table up, up in the, like one of those glass rooms, and Pete Axelm, who used to be on television, was at the table. You know, I'm talking horses with these adults. I bet a horse. The horse's name was Little Little Watermelon. I remember the horse was like 10 or 11 to 1, lost by a tiny nose. And that's when my father said to me, you know, if you like a horse that's that long, you might want to bet to place too. So that was my, I didn't win anything, but it was kind of a really important lesson. <laughs> and that's the one that's the one that stuck with me. So it's funny. It's not even the first winner. It's like I already remember my first bad beat, I guess. 
Well, that's what dads are for, though—to give out good advice, right? Uh, back him up and yeah. Place I don't know. Place. I I don't know that he backed up his advice often enough because he had plenty of. Oh man, I love that long price horse. Did you bet anything to place? No. Well, we all have those stories, right? No one ever bet enough mm-hmm. on a winning horse. They say so. So, Jamie, you're in Troy, Michigan now. Was Hazel Park your home track? Uh, not really. Uh, Detroit and Michigan. Uh, Hazel Park was, for me, was mostly, uh, you know, standard bread racing. Same with Northville Downs. There was a track here called the Detroit Race Course, DRC. Ladbroke bought that. They had the earliest vision, I think, of racinos and simulcasting and all these things that they wanted to do. And Detroit Race Course had some pretty rich history. I think Seabiscuit raced there and other other horses that went on to some fame. And they the they just could not get that legislation through that legislative support to do the things that have happened in other markets and an industry that was pretty decent sized in Michigan and a lot of those folks have moved to Ohio racing or maybe Tampa or other places is now gone there is no thoroughbred racing in Michigan the, the Detroit race course is now a I think it's a shopping mall with a Lowe's and you know concrete jungle well, God knows we need more lows out there, right? So uh, yeah, right. Uh, so I have to go to I have to go to other places to to take in live racing. So where where do you go for live racing then, Jamie? Uh, I mean, kind of in my travels uh, with if I'm somewhere. So if if uh, we have some family and we tend we're Michiganian, so you know you kind of get away from here in the winter and maybe get to be in Florida some. So I'll go to Gulfstream for a day if I can always try to get to Saratoga if I can get there, you know, as kids kind of went there a little bit every summer and now sort of spottily over my adult years. I've, I've probably been to every major and minor U.S. track. Uh, this past spring, my wife and I drove from Detroit down to New Orleans and back, kind of an American road trip, and we, uh, we went to Oakland for a day, had never been there, and, and that was terrific. A lot of people that I talked to have been to Hot Springs and said that Oakland is just a terrific facility. I've never been there myself. Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about it, because I, I think it's kind of like a Saratoga in that the, the town mm-hmm. and the race course are, are, are one, right? Exactly. I mean, you can walk there from hotels. The, the racing is high quality. The thing that was surprising about it to me is having seen it for so long on television and watched races from there and and in, it's, it is much more intimate when you're there than it appears on, on any of the simulcasting or any of the television coverage I've seen of it. Um, now, you mentioned, I think, when I've talked to you before, that Woodbine is a destination of yours that you've gone to uh, that, that is a favorite destination as well. Is that correct? I mean, I've, I've uh, experienced Woodbine by going there a few times over the years for some horse racing contests. And uh, it is, you know, a four- to five-hour drive from Detroit. You do have crossing border and customs and all of those things can make that time longer or shorter. Uh, and it, I, I like, I mean, the racing there is really nice. They're, I, they're changing some things around with their turf course, but it was a unique structure where the turf course is on the out, farthest outside. So where they used to hold a lot of their tournaments, you were pretty much right up against the turf course, which you don't see that often. And the people are very nice, and they they really seem to embrace those tournaments. And uh, 
give them the full treatment. Yeah, I've heard that the tournaments up there are, are a lot of fun. I think one of the things that, <clears throat> and, and put it this way, it scares me away about Woodbine. Uh, and I used to be a big proponent of polytrack surfaces, and, and I felt like I had some angles there on playing them. But the tap of the surface, how do you how do you handicap that? Do you handicap that just for like a regular dirt surface? Do you make any adjustments for the the artificial nature of the surface? I, I'm with you. I, I liked it a lot when a bunch of places went to it, and you could start to see kind of things like turf to dirt, turf to synthetic, synthetic to, and then so many have gotten rid of them that that just becomes then it's woodbine thing, and you're just looking at woodbine form. So I, for woodbine, I've kind of just looked at it as turf, and then their synthetic surface, and just how the horses perform. But I. I, I, I wouldn't or couldn't say I have angles or have have figured it out. It's more I know I'm going to go there for one of their contests and uh, I kind of have to deal with it. I love turf racing, so I'll, I'll if I can I'll look more to those races. Okay, okay, yeah, it's, it's and for and and I've got I mean I mean the one thing that it has done is like this summer, Saratoga, especially other places. You know, you love turf racing. You handicap a whole day the day before and then. All the races are taken off the turf. They scratch half the horses, and and what do you do? So those places that have had those synthetic surfaces have had something to move those races to that seem to at least not decimate the fields when they do that. That's a good point because you were you were able to retain the full fields moving to the artificial surface. Yeah, it was a it was a tough summer at Saratoga as, a, as someone who plays Saratoga frequently. Um, yeah, you know, it got to the point where. You would have to really be looking at the long range, the short range, and the long range forecasts. Am I even going to waste my time on these turf races tomorrow? Oh, I, I don't even look at the weather at home. The only time I look at weather is for maybe traveling or horse racing. Yeah, that's it. So, Jamie, in, in your advertising agency business, do you ever take clients to the races? Uh, I, I mean, again, because I don't really have racing here in town uh, in Michigan. I have, where I can, have taken clients, friends, people to races all over the place because it's a great way to expose people to the sport. And generally, when you do that, it's rare that people don't really sort of have an enjoyable day. So I do remember taking a client once when I was, I, I used to do a lot of um, shooting commercial shoots and stuff out in Los Angeles. So I remember taking a client out to San Anita once, went out there, and, and I was just, I remember he had and had never been to the races, so that's a great way to do it. You drive out to Pasadena and you see that place, and he was smitten. Uh, that's 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 a great venue to take someone to for their first time. That's that's for sure. You know, Jimmy, one of the things I always struggled with in my corporate career, and maybe struggled with is too strong of a term, but uh, I always wondered at what point do I let people know. That I'm a horse racing fan because there is a certain segment of the population that will look at you when you say that, like, oh, well, you know, is this guy a, uh, you know, a low life? <laughs> you know, basically. Um, it, it, do you ever have that kind of pause about letting people know that you're a horse racing fan, or, or does that even bother you at all? Uh, I, 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 I totally relate to that pause. I, I guess. Well, first, for our advertising agency, our largest client is the Michigan Lottery, so gaming is a. I guess a significant part of my business and life and as lotteries around the country have investigated, tested and moved to some legal online play type of things, the experience that I've had with advanced deposit wagering and online platforms has been 
you know, relevant, applicable. So with them, you know, it's a, e- easy to talk about. But broadly in business, especially when people go, well, well, he's a handicapper, and then they look at you because they don't even know what the word means, uh, versus a fan of horse racing, you know, which people pay attention to the Triple Crown season, if you know, and that's kind of about it. Uh, so yeah, it, it, you know, I'm lucky. I come to my house, and I, I mean, we have some winter circle photos or trophies, awards, different things from this stuff, so it comes up there. <laughs> uh, but I'm not ashamed of it. I don't hide it, but I don't, I don't make it that frontal either. Yeah, it's, it's a, I think it's an individual decision with individual people. You know, you have to, you have to kind of make. Uh, uh, you know what, I'm at the age now where I don't really, I just don't worry about it anymore. But I did for a long time, I, especially as when I was working for some big companies. I, I definitely... It, it a takes question. a lot of explanation, right? I'm, yeah. Especially with the contest. Oh, I'm going off to so-and-so. For, what, what are you going there for? For a horse racing contest. <laughs> and you get that deer-in-the-headlights look. And then you go, you know, those when you're flipping through the channels on TV, those poker shows, and it's kind of like that, but for horse racing. I mean, so it's sort of that's that. It's like it's the Uber of whatever category. That's been the ref. That's been the reference point. That's I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to write that one down. So, Jamie, you're in advertising. How do we get more people into this great game that we love so much? (laughs) I, I, you know, I've wanted to try as an advertising person to help with that over the years, you know, and NTRAs hired different agencies, done campaigns. I mean, we did work years ago for Ladbroke in Detroit and the DRC. So physically, you know, got that experience of trying to promote a racetrack in a retail sense, you know, doing promotional things. I, th- I mean, I just think it's, it's an experience thing and you, and it's just, it's not about talk or clever themes or ideas you just have to get people there to soak in the sounds, the smells, the the everything about it. I, I, I don't know the silver bullet solution to that. I mean, when you get a chance. So, I mean, those people that love this sport that are the ambassadors who drag folks out to racing or contests is, is a great way to do it. Uh, you know, and then the other part of it, I, I just, I cannot understand in what is it 2018 going to be 2019 that on my ATTU verse system I have TVG and I have another TVG whatever it's called and that other channels in non HD I mean this is a major sport I mean trying to watch it and it looks like it's drawn with crayons on my television I don't get it yeah, and I'm, I'm with you on that one. Actually, I, I use the Naira Bets platform, and one of the things I really like is the quality of the video is absolutely exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, it, it's that, so that, some of that stuff, and then, I, I mean, you know, there's, I, 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 I mean, I, I, I don't know that there is, uh, it seems like you know there's just a bunch of different groups that make up this giant industry of horse racing, and I, I don't know how well they all connect in in a real, yeah, their majors. Well, I'm I'm with you. I think that it's an interesting dynamic. You have to get people out to the track to experience it, right? Uh, once they've done that, and and maybe you have to get them out a couple of times, it it 
the odd odd part of the dynamic is it's it's become a studio sport as well, right? So you can you know to your point, you know, watch TVG or you know your online platform and and bet that way. But you, you got to get a, you got to get them out there first for the experience. You know, hopefully it, it takes off from there. I mean, all the data and research shows though that younger people. I don't like labeling generations, but millennials, the Gen Z, spending less money shopping and buying things and really embracing experiences and traveling and taking in and doing new and different things. So I think that trend is is quite hopeful for the future of horse racing. So, Jamie, you are a contest player. You've referred to that. Um, and you and your dad both are. Um, how many times have you and your dad been to the National Handicapping Championship in Las Vegas. And tell us about the difficulties of playing in and, and doing well in that environment and kind of what the environment's like at the NHC for someone who's never been there. Well, I'll, I'll, Bill, what I'll tell you is, so I got introduced to the idea of horse racing contests with my father, and the first contest that we participated in was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Wow. Not an easy place to get to, even if you live in South Dakota. And, and, <laughs> and so we flew like to Minneapolis, changed planes, went to, went to this, this place in Sioux Falls. Randy Gallo, who many people in the sport know, ran this at a, a kind of a, his own small off-track betting parlor, if you will, or set up in a, in a, in a strip center. It then moved out to a Native American casino. And it was a small group, and the TV screens were on the walls, and, and it was kind of NHC format, some optional mandatory plays, and it played. And I think my father finished in a place to qualify for NHC. And uh, we then went to Las Vegas for NHC. I've been to Las Vegas a number of times. And uh, you know, my, it was a two-day tournament then, and my father did okay. I think it was the year that Stephen Wilson Jr. won the tournament. So I get to sort of be there, be around someone I've known my whole life. He wins this thing. Uh, and, and, you know, I was kind of hooked. And then it was, well, we'd like to come back to this again. It's just a lot of fun. And so between the two of us, I think I'm nine times. He's like seven. We're not quite exactly sure. I'm junior. We have the same name, so the systems aren't perfect. But for basically the past 15 years, one or both of us, have qualified and we've pretty much been at what I would call the annual reunion now <laughs> most of those years. A few of the years neither of us qualified. We weren't there. That makes it even more special to kind of try to get back there. And uh, so that's the history. You asked about difficulties of playing in or doing well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what the environment's like there because it's, 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 I mean, it's a unique environment. If I, if I had, I mean, it, it's certainly not for the faint of heart because if you picture, you've been now, right, a number of times? or My first time this year. Okay. So you know, you take a massive ballroom meeting room at a conference hotel. You have what is the equivalent of being at a work table from 9 to 5.30 with no breaks. And it kind of starts slowly, and it ramps up very quickly. And, and the sort of there's this electricity in the air when they run the mandatory races that everybody has to make a, a selection on. And you're covering like 60-some races in that span, and the day goes ridiculously fast. Uh, and you have to be pretty prepared and pretty organized. And then that day ends of live racing, and now you got to go back to your room and handicap for the next day. 
so it it is it is uh i mean it is like i don't know like the intensity of college final exams or something like that um but i kind of love it <laughs> as, as far as doing well in it i i've i've sure learned it's like because most people will find their handicapping sort of cyclical i mean some periods of the year you feel like you're doing well and you see the races and your horses that you're selecting are running well. Other times you're just not even around it and you have to be primed for those couple of days. Sometimes you are, sometimes not. That's that. I actually think that's a really great point actually about your success in this game is very cyclical. And when it comes to a event like the NHC or any tournament, really it's, are you, do you get into one of those zones or not? And if you do, then you're going to do well. And if you don't, it can be a frustrating experience, but uh, you know you've been obviously you and your dad have been many times. I've been the once, and I remember uh, somebody telling me that once you've been once, you're going to want to go over and over again. Yes, and yeah, uh, there's just no question about that. So, and I, and I think you go and you learn some things for the next time, and like anything else you do, experience does help. And and what would you do differently? What else might you try? I mean, you do know basically there's not formulas, but there's sort of ranges where, okay, the contest says we have X number of selections and maybe two and a half times that bankroll is a reasonable target total for each of those days. And so you kind of go, if I can figure out how to get to a hundred, hundred and twenty dollars on average each of these days, I'm be around that top 50 target. There are a lot of ways to get to that. Uh, but you have to be pretty sharp over a couple of days for that to happen. And it is a, it is a grind. It's the uh, like you said, uh, you know, you're at it all day, making your bets, your wagers. Do I want to bet this race or not? And then you got to go back to your room and you got to start all over again. Uh, and I mean, the year that I won, everything kind of just went well for a couple of days, and and it's still sort of surreal and a blur. I'm heavily proud of the first time they ever allowed you to have two tickets or cards in the NHC that I got both of those entries into the top 50. I didn't advance either of them to the final table because that was the first year of that concept. But uh, I really haven't done jack since. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible to get two into the top 50 because, uh, you know, I, w I sat at a table with a couple of people who had two entries this year. And, uh, I mean, your head had to be on a swivel constantly. I mean, I had a hard time managing the one ticket, managing two. Uh, that's a, that's quite an accomplishment I in don't, and of itself. I don't like the multiple tickets. I'm not much of a golfer, but I play a little, and I've always been a believer, you know, the one ball, play your ball, that's it. I, I, I get that the multiple tickets mean that all of these contests have more handle and people play two and three entries. And if you couldn't have a second entry in NHC and you qualified in March, well, why would you participate the rest of the year in contests? And it's a small universe of people who play, so it keeps people engaged or they try to get tour points or all of that. But I don't like it, really, uh, and especially in tournaments where you're playing and somebody has three entries. And it's just, uh, I just, I, I wish it were just, you had an entry and do the best with it, but. Well, it's the rules of the rule. It's interesting you say that. I found that having the one ticket, <clears throat> it actually really sharpened my play. I had to make a decision in in the. I agree. You know, and and it was better for me. It really was. I you know I did I did okay. I was happy. I think I finished one sixty eight. Um, you know, 
I think it was like $40 out of the top 70 or so. And, of course, like everybody, you look back, oh, if I had bet this one versus that one. But <clears throat> I felt like it really sharpened my decision-making. So interesting uh, discussion about the single versus the multiple tickets. Jamie, let's get into some uh, uh, Michigan. Re- you're in the heart of Michigan there. i got to ask you some, some Michigan-related sure. questions here. Uh, Wolverines or Spartans? Uh, well, I'm... I'm a Quaker, but but I'm quite I'm quite loyal at home to the Mason Blue. All right, Wolverines. All right, very good. Uh, I, my, my my sisters went to University of Michigan. I, I I I do try to go to a football game in the big house each year, and and so the, yeah, a little frustrated, but that's where the loyalties lie. So let's go to the professional level. The Detroit Lions will they ever win the Super Bowl? <laughs> uh. Well, since we're talking horse racing, too, the Lions are basically eligible for a non-winners of one other than. Uh, so in my lifetime, they've won one playoff game. I would. How about we start with just a playoff game <laughs> victory and we go from there? Baby steps, right? Baby steps. <laughs> Is that fair? Yeah. No, that's good. That, that's good, and I can appreciate that sentiment, too. Listen, I'm a longtime Patriots fan, and people now, of course, despise the Patriots as these perennial winners right they don't remember the, the very they were jokes for a long time and now they've had time. tremendous success a long time yeah. so uh, you know good things come to those who wait i guess is all i can say hey uh, jamie detroit is making somewhat of a comeback um you know it's obviously was the city was through some tough times with the changes in the automobile industry but i know that dan gilbert of quicken loans fame is uh making some things happen there in downtown with the business district tell us about some of the things that you see happening in detroit that um you think are, are positive for the city going forward i'm glad you asked about that because people i mean i'm a proud detroiter i've, I've boomeranged i've left i've come back i've left come back but from a work standpoint we have a number of clients that are really involved and part of the energy and the comeback of Detroit. So the Detroit Red Wings and Detroit Tigers, which are owned by the Illich family, uh, the Detroit Metro Convention and Visitors Bureau, which is attracting business and leisure travelers to Detroit. And we've been talking about, it was actually National Geographic that coined Detroit as the comebacks, comeback city, and it's still in a comeback mode. Now we're talking about kind of that it's go time here. There's, there is, it's not just one person doing some development or anything it is it, it, it's 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 multiple small and big businesses renovating the core downtown connecting up downtown to midtown to where general motors used to be headquartered and and emanating across a whole huge city it's really dynamic and ex- exciting here and so the vision that people have of sort of this burned out, uh, I don't know, you know, kind of ruined looking city is, is a really wrong picture. Well, did I read recently that the central, one of the automobile on, uh, companies is renovating the famous central train station? Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 that building that was the backdrop of those sort of really dark scenes in Batman versus Superman and is this architectural gem? Yeah, Ford Motor Company is going to move portions from Dearborn of their like kind of future automobile design, innovation, all of that, that to that building, that area, which kind of connects uh, Detroit, the downtown to Southwest Detroit, and it's 
it's going to be pretty exciting. And, I mean, young people working, living in the city, there's still a lot of problems, a lot of things to fix and address, schools being significant one. Um, but I'm pretty bullish on Detroit. No, it does does seem on the upswing. And one of the things that um, I would call, I guess, the hidden gems of Detroit, and I can't say I've been there myself, but I did some reading about it, is the Detroit Art Museum, um, which I don't think you know people from outside would think of as a uh, destination-type place to attend. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the the artwork that's on display there? Well, the the DIA, as it's called, Detroit Institute of Art, it, it is a gem. I didn't know if you'd been there or not. It is, it's actually part of the phenomenal story when it comes to this whole negotiation of kind of the grand bargain because of the value of all of the artwork in that museum, but a number of private and foundations stepped up to protect that. The There's the kind of the the landmark there are the Diego Rivera Detroit industry murals, which kind of alone are worth a trip to that museum. Um, you might have seen pictures in books yeah. or online, but they're, uh, you know, and, and they were controversial in their time, but they're, the, the, yeah, the building, the facility, the art, that's one of our gems. And right now the DIA is exhibiting the costumes of Star Wars movies. Yeah. Well, you have to have something for everybody, right, when you're running an institution right. like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've heard about those murals. I mean, you talk, yeah, you talk about parallels to racing. I mean, you know, getting people and families and stuff to attend cultural attractions and art museums. you got to, like you said, you got to have something for everybody, and you have to have those things that maybe are more currently cultural. Well, listen, Jamie, thanks for joining us. You've been a great guest. As a token of my appreciation, let me dip into my goodie grab bag of gift certificates here and award you with, uh, here we go, a $25 gift certificate to the Sweden House Smorgasbord, where you can have all the Swedish meatballs you want. <laughs> Thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. We'll talk with you again soon. Big score story. The story behind the story of a successful score at the track. Today's big score story is brought to us by Kelly Lawless. Kelly, why don't you tell us about one of your many big scores? Uh, thanks, Bill. Uh, this has to go back uh, a few years to the inaugural Saratoga Handicapping Contest. Uh, when they first started, it was a two-day event for a $1,000 buy-in. And uh, I'm in uh, day one, and of course, you know, it's my home track. I had to play. It was very exciting. And I even got interviewed. The local press came over and asked, uh, you know, if I used names and jockeys to, to make my bet. So I said, no, I use data. <laughs> But uh, at the end of the day, here I am, uh, zero balance in my bankroll. And I'm like, oh, God, I was on TV. I got zero in my bankroll. This ought to be fun. But, uh, you know, like racing, uh, just blink, and things can change. Day two, I was able to get a couple of price horses early, and I had uh, <clears throat> planned my strategy for a couple of horses uh, later in the day, including a uh, Finger Lake shipper. And when all was said and done, I managed to come in second. Uh, we're just out of uh, first place by like 40 cents. Uh, but when all was said and done, it uh, didn't matter. I ended up uh, coming, uh, winning a seat to NHC, uh, and I also won 25000 Uh And it just so happened it was Eddie and my uh, 25th wedding anniversary, so I asked him where in the world would he like to go. I would take him wherever he wanted. And he said, I want to go to Paris to go see the Arc de Triomphe. Uh, oh, so wow. off we went for our, our uh, 25th wedding anniversary, and I took him to Paris. 
Oh, man. And uh, we had a wonderful time. We uh, went and saw the morning workout uh, at uh, Chantilly. Uh, got to see uh, Cricket Head Stables and, I mean, just even betting in, in France. I mean, we are so spoiled in this country with information. They have nothing. And uh, and then you don't even know if you've won until after the race. It's like uh, 20 minutes afterwards. Oh, no, really? Uh, you might see the order finish posted, and you have no idea that they're even giving you the correct amount of money. But it didn't matter. I had a blast. <laughs> I had three triples, and it was very exciting. And we just had a wonderful, wonderful time in uh, Paddy. And, uh, and it was just great to... Uh, uh, see, you know, horses uh, over there, and then the Breeders' Cup the next month made it uh, super fun. So we had a great time. But that was, that was probably one of my uh, biggest scores and most exciting. Well, and there's no better feeling than doing that type of trip with other people's money, too, right? I mean, that's that oh, only sweetens absolutely. it up, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, yes, indeed. That's a great story, Kelly. Listen, thank you very much. Appreciate your sharing that with us, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. All righty, Bill. Thank right. you. Good luck, everybody. So joining us today as our guest handicapper is Chris Mello. Chris is one of the owners in Wasabi Ventures Stable Partnerships and owns a piece of a couple of horses in that group. Chris, uh, I'm assuming you didn't pick a Wasabi horse today, but <laughs> what what do you have for us going on? Good morning, Bill. Um, so today I am looking at Keeneland tomorrow, Saturday, um, for the uh, seventh race. I try to stay away from the northeast just with all the rain that's coming in. So the seventh race is an allowance for two-year-olds, non-winners of two, uh, full field, so I think there's some good betting opportunities uh, in this particular field. Looking through the race, uh, obviously there are a couple uh, standout contenders, I believe, but want to give everyone a little bit of a price. So I honed in on the five horse. The five horse is Far Away Kitten. It's a two-year-old out of Kitten's Joy. Um, so I'm a sucker for Kitten's Joy, and more specifically, a Kitten's Joy um, where the trainer is Michael Maker. Mm. Um, so that's someone I'm always looking at from a turf perspective. Um, I think he's one of the uh, the good, if not great, turf trainers out there. So I think yeah. that's one that I'll be uh, looking at specifically. He was a uh, first out winner at Woodbine, so that uh, throws me off a little bit right off the, the gate, but they Thought enough of him to bring him back at Kentucky Downs in the Kentucky uh, Kentucky Downs Juvenile Turf Sprint. Um, so I looked back at that race, watched the replay a few times. If you look at the uh, comment line, it says jumped, fallen, foe on the straight. Yeah, uh, so as I watched the race, the first thing I noticed was he actually got checked uh, pretty good, um, no more than a furlong or two into the race. So he lost a few, uh, a few lengths right off the bat there. Um, still came running was uh, handled pretty easily, I would say. And then, sure enough, uh, unfortunately, a horse did break down. Um, and Faraway Kitten actually leaped right over the horse. And wow. uh, at that point, the jockey did a great job of um, closing him up, saving him for next time out. So um, I think that's the horse I'm going to key in on. Another angle I liked um, specifically on grass are horses that are going to stretch out. So this race is at a mile and a 16th. Uh, his first two attempts were at sprint distances, uh, the last one at Kentucky Downs being six and a half furlong. So um, I see a good opportunity there, especially with the full field. You have a favorite uh, at five to two, the 10 horse, who's a Chad Brown runner. Uh, so we know everyone huh. obviously sees the name Chad Brown and will be, uh, I'm sure, piling money. And uh, it's definitely a horse that looks to be a, a contender there, but 
uh, the horse that I'm playing, Faraway Kitten, I think there's some opportunity off um, off that last race to uh, to get the stretch out uh, and make some noise at this uh, on this particular race. Yeah, imagine that a Chad Brown horse being the favorite in a turf route. Who'd, who'd have thunk it, right? That's crazy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, Chris, you raise a couple of good points there. First of all, I'm with you on Kitten's Joy and especially Maker and, and Ramsey's being the owners and breeders. Uh, that That is a still a powerful angle, not as much as maybe a few years ago, but um, I, I, I like the Kitten's Joys on the turf. No big revelation there. But uh, something you did here I think is really important uh, and – I think you get so much from watching replays that even even a trouble comment line like this one, and I have to say, I don't think I've ever seen jumped fallen foe uh, as a comment line. Uh, but oftentimes you get so much more out of watching the replays because the, the you know the DRF comment line is I don't know twenty twenty five characters whatever, and it can't possibly capture everything that happened in a race and. Uh, so I think watching replays is really important. And the other thing I like about this one too is, is you know, it's a, a decent price, six to one, uh, nearly seven to one in a ten-horse field, um, and it's probably going to go up because you know from that uh, clearly the morning line here is twelve to one. Um, probably going to go off somewhere around that with a Chad Brown horse being in there, and you know the average better looks and says ah seventh last time by eight, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think you hit one of the uh, the things that I've been doing a lot of, uh, and by no means would I say I'm um, one of these all-class handicappers by any stretch, but definitely replays plays a huge role in what I'm doing from a day-to-day perspective as it pertains to uh, understanding uh, some of these horses and, and why someone may have uh, you know, came up really short in a spot where they were maybe even aimed to. So, um, you know, previously it was just looking at the um, PPs and, and getting a sense of different uh, conditions and trainers, jockey combinations, that sort of thing. But more so than ever, um, you know, I think I trust my eyes more than, you know, the 25 characters that you mentioned. So that's something I, I really spend some time with, uh, especially on races like this where you have big fields and, and you may find a price that's hidden in there. No, that's great. That's great stuff, Chris. Well, listen, we'll be uh, rooting on uh, the kitten on Saturday. Um, thanks for joining us, and I know we're going to talk to you next week when we uh, do our big Breeders' Cup of Palooza too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's the uh, it's definitely my two favorite days of the horse right. racing calendar. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone loves the Derby, of course, and that's a great day to, to have a party, but I think some uh, the folks that really enjoy the horses and digging into cards, especially since, um, you know, the cards tend to be full and um, you know, some great talent across the board. So it's, it's great opportunities all the way across. Christmas day for horse players. I like to call it, especially Saturday. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right, Chris, listen, Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks for joining us again for this week's episode of can do next week. We're going to break from our usual format. It's breeders cup week after all. So we've got an all-star lineup of guest handicappers who are going to join us to give us their insights into the big lineup of Saturday's races. I hope you'll join us. In the meantime, as always, may the horse be with you. Do this here in the telegraph. For Rivera, a bite. I hear his foot's all right. Of course, it all depends on the horse. Last night, I know it's balanced.